Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's been a while since I've uh, had to speak in front of a lot of people. Uh, so as long as my fly is up, which I once did a whole lecture with my fly down, most embarrassing moment in my life, uh, I think I'm going to go. I'm, I'm good. Um, so Tommy said, uh, I don't know why I said that. Tommy said uh, he was going to do a sermon series on the Advent Candles and uh, would I like to do one. And so I asked him just to kind of assign me one, and he gave me joy. And uh, after I agreed, I thought, uh, this is probably the worst one <laughs> for me. Uh, I kind of doubt that the first word people would use to describe me would be joyful. Um, I tend to be a pretty cynical, skeptical, type A, pessimistic guy. I don't think I'm known for my overabundance of joy and contentedness. But um, uh, you know that joke when people say, like, if you're happy, you might want to let your face know it? I think that applies to me. I think I have, like, resting, annoyed face. Uh, so, yeah, I think most people wouldn't see me on the street and say, oh, there's a guy that needs to preach about joy. But uh, I'm going to try it anyway. Maybe this is I, uh, Tommy's idea of a joke. Uh, uh, um, but maybe that's exactly why I should do it, too. So um, you'll notice that the third candle is, of Advent is pink. It's special. Um, maybe that's why. Is it, is it pink? You see me as a pink kind of guy? Is it, um, in, in Latin, uh, in, in Roman Catholicism, the third week is, is called Gaudet Sunday. Gaudet means rejoice. And it's rose-colored because rose is a liturgical color that represents joy. Um, it's also called the shepherd's candle. So I guess this is our church's uh, week, too. But the uh, reason, other reason it's special is this is halfway. We're halfway through Advent. So the first two weeks, we, we, we lament and we, we call out for a Savior. And then the second half, we expect it and we anticipate it and joy is, is part of that picture, right? So let's talk about joy. Everyone wants to be happy. In the fifth century, Augustine wrote, every man whatsoever his condition desires to be happy. I mean, that's it, isn't it, right? In the end, that's what we all say. What do you want out of life? I just want to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. Um, happiness is everything. It's the ultimate desire I think most people would, would, would say is, is their uh, end game, their goal, um, certainly for those we love. I think for my kids, what I want, I want them to be happy. And uh, our Declaration of Independence even has that phrase in it, right? That we are given uh, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And like you, I always thought that meant we're given the chance to pursue happiness, right? Like we might not always get it, but we should at least be getting the chance to, and that's what we're guaranteed. Or, um, but actually, um, Historian Arthur Schlesinger, who was a, a big writer in the 60s, he did a pretty convincing essay um, that looked at the phrase pursuit of happiness and how it was used back in the 1700s and, you know, by looking at other documents. And that, that actual phrase actually doesn't mean trying to get happiness. It means to seek, or rather to experience happiness, to practice happiness, which is a really different meaning. Um, I mean, seeking happiness is one thing, but actually making the experience of, happening, ha experience of happiness an unalienable right, that's a pretty bold move. Um, but that's what, that's what the writers of the, of the Declaration of Independence meant, that we have the right to experience happiness. And I think God would agree. Um, we should be happy. God wants us to be joyful people. Uh, for Christians, joy and happiness is our birthright, and it's number two in the fruits of the spirit, right? You got love and joy. Number two. So it's got to be important. It's right up there. Um, let me 
Let's see if my slides work. Do my slides work? They do. All right. So Connie just read uh, this verse, among others. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You guys know this verse. A lot of people know this verse. It's written on all sorts of things, uh, very common. But what other command can you think of that's written this way, right? It's not like, don't murder. Again, I say don't murder, <laughs> right? Like, he repeats it twice. And I think he repeats it twice because he knows we're not going to do it. Because <laughs> he knows we're not going to take this one seriously. Um, it's kind of ironic that the negative commands we take seriously. But the positive ones, we're like, yeah, those are optional, right? But this is absolutely an imperative statement. It's, it's no less um, a command than any other scripture line that we read that's in this imperative text. And yet we kind of feel like this one's optional and we kind of have the right to ignore this one. But we really don't. So I, I just want to ask, like, how, you guys, how do you guys do with this command? Do you think you're a joyful person? Um, do you rejoice in all situations? Have you found, like, like Paul said and Connie read, have you found the secret to contentedness in all things like Paul has? That's a hard question for me. Um, so let's talk about depression. Depression is an epidemic in America. 10% uh, of Americans uh, meet the criteria for diagnostic clinical depression. 10%. Um, and the highest group of depression is actually, sadly, in ages 12 to 25, where it's 17%. 17% in that age group. Um, Here's some more statistics. The number of antidepressants prescribed over the past six years has increased by 35%. No one's going to argue with that. We all know some of the fallout that COVID had with regards to mental health. Four out of five people describe depression as a chemical imbalance. Why did I put that in there? You guys remember the, um, in the early 2000s, all the uh, Zoloft and, and Prozac commercials? Um, remember this guy? <laughs> Do you remember the little, the little blob Zoloft guy? He was happy, and then, oh, he was sad, and then he turned happy. But in this commercial, they actually showed us like two, two nerves, an, an exon and a, and a, and a dendrite, and, and the chemical imbalance, serotonin in this case, and how that was your depression. Um, that was the, the physiologic basis of depression. You guys remember that? I remember that. There were all sorts of commercials like that, but this is the one I was most, is most memorable. Um, before I moved to Oregon, um, I don't know if any of you guys know this or... I probably wouldn't have told you this, but uh, I was a research pharmacologist. That was my, that was my job. Um, I worked in academic research labs, and my primary area of focus was depression. And uh, so in our laboratory, we looked to make novel antidepressants that we could patent. Um, and uh, so we, we were working on the physiology of depression and then developing new compounds that we could test in different models of depression. And so, you know, I was, uh, I was kind of an expert in the sertralines and the Fluoxetine, riboxetine, dizipramine, imipramine, selegiline, all the great antidepressants. Uh, if you guys want to talk about antidepressants, I'm your guy. <laughs> um, but I don't know if you saw this this summer. Did you guys see some of these headlines? This was like everything you'd ever done, waste of time. <laughs> we had this theory of chemical imbalance, uh, whether it was serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine in the brain, and that was what was causing depression. Um, and all of our drugs are targeted at increasing levels of those neurotransmitters in the brain. And uh, it's all wrong. We all kind of, there's a consensus now that we don't know really what causes depression. 
Um, here's, some, here's some quotes that are well stated. Um, first of all, SSRIs, as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like, like Prozac or Zoloft, they do work in, in people. 20 to 40% will have some efficacious uh, response, um, but no one knows why, and I think that's really interesting. <laughs> um, and so they're actually telling clinicians now, do not tell your patients they have a chemical imbalance because that's actually not evidence-based at all. Um, and I love that conclusion. The field currently lacks a clear understanding of the biological basis of depression. So why do I say all this? Um, because I want to submit to you that depression, at least some significant fraction of it, is not a chemical or genetic phenomenon, but it's spiritual. And even after decades of work in the field of depression and mood, there's still no observable physiologic markers that we can measure in a depressed patient, right? You can't get, get an MRI to find out if you're depressed. There's no blood test for depression. Um, it's a clinical diagnosis, meaning it's a, it's a subjective diagnosis of the, of the provider. And so that's really interesting. Um, we can't detect it, so it's, it's up here. It's a state of mind. It's a state of being. Um, and it can sometimes be helped by drugs, as, as we know, but you can't take a biopsy of the brain, throw it on a microscope slide, look at it, and say, yeah, that, those neurons are depressed. Like, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. And so I believe, and I think all the evidence supports, that it is our mind that creates depressive patterns in the brain rather than the brain making us depressed. In other words, I think our spirit, our mind, brings about depression rather than a physiologic force outside forcing depression on us. And now that's not to say that depression isn't real. My Lord, is it real, right? It kills people. It's very real. It's very real. But it, since it's not something we can objectively measure with any technique we've come up with in medicine today, it's a condition of the mind and it's a state of being which makes treating depression very different than treating cancer or diabetes. It's just a different, it's a different monster. And yeah, if you're wondering, there are studies that, that have looked at uh, depression and religion, and about two-thirds of them do show that those who practice religion, you can define what that means, but practice religion, uh, have lower rates of depressive disorder and lower instance, instances of depressive symptoms. I think that's pretty interesting. And even in the most secular field, psychology, psychiatric medicine is a pretty secular field, um, there is guidelines that state, quote, on balance, religious involvement is conducive to better mental health. They will concede that. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. So yeah, there you go, there's some evidence, if you needed it, that one's spirit and religious practice can affect your mood. But I think we all, all know that. All right, you still get, there's a little feedback here, you're working on that, aren't you? Just, I should be running sound, shouldn't I? <laughs> you're making me depressed, Christian. No. Um, it's, it's hard, I know, I'm just giving you, giving you grief, because that's what I do. I'm not a joyous person. Uh, <laughs> there are about 270, 2,700 2, verses that contain the words joy, uh, happiness, gladness, merriment, cheer, laughter in the Bible. And uh, I will now read most of them. <laughs> no. you, you, here's, here's some of them that you can see, um, and you've, you've read a lot of these. Um, Romans, rejoice in hope. Should I not turn? Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Whatever that knob was, turn it down. It should be muted, right? Yeah, it's off. All right. We back on? 
Well, anyway, I'm going to keep talking. Um, you can read some of these verses here, and, and you know a lot of them. Um, and then John 15, which Jesus said, uh, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We know there's lots of verses about joy. Um, all right. So, here's an interesting thought. Uh, in English, the word joy, there's lots of synonyms for joy, right? Delight, happiness, elation. In Greek, the word chara means delight, gladness, rejoicing. In Hebrew, simcha means gladness or joy. These are all synonyms. They're synonyms. <laughs> How many of you guys have heard a sermon, and I've given them myself, that joy and happiness are different? The happiness is the superficial thing. It's fleeting. Uh, what we need as Christians is deep-seated joy. Um, they're very different. Um, but they're not. <laughs> uh, they're just not. They're synonyms. Um, and I just don't think that that old paradigm of joy and happiness being like two different levels, um, that's not true. Uh, here's a good example, um, and you can find many examples. There's over 20 examples that I was reading through when I was preparing for this. Ecclesiastes 9.7, Ecclesiastes 9, if you have the, NA, uh, the New American Standard Version, it says, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. But if you have the English Standard Version, it says, eat your bread with joy. NIV says, eat your food with gladness. They're synonyms. The same scholars that can read this Hebrew translate that word, either of those three uh, synonyms. So, joy is happiness, and I think that's uh, really interesting. Why did it, why did it change? Uh, let's see. That's, why did it change um, in our in our hearts in the in the social context? I think, if I had to guess, in the 20th century, we started to hear people use happiness to justify things, sinful behavior, probably, in the church. So we had things like um, we had uh, people saying things like, "Well, I." I just need to be happy, so I, I had to leave my wife. Um, I would just turn the mids down. It's, it seems like it's somewhere around 1,500 megahertz. Is that better? No, that's worse. <laughs> yeah, make a U-shaped uh, and knock out the high end. All right. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, where was I? Um, okay, synonyms. So, uh, I think we started to, to use two different words because happiness was like, was like something we were used to justify sinful behavior, right? Like, hey, I have to abandon my family because I, I just needed to be happy. And so church leaders probably over time started to say, you know what? Happiness isn't that important. With Christians, we're going to anchor on this word joy, and we're not going to worry about happiness because happiness can justify all sorts of things. But again, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's a good translation of what we're trying to do here. And Joni Erickson Tata, who many of you have heard of, I mean... Talk about a follower of Jesus that has had to practice joy in the context of pain. She's a quadriplegic and has been since very young. I think she was a teenager when she um, had her accident. And she writes this, or said this, we're often taught to be careful of the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, it is said, is an emotion that depends on what happens. But joy, by contrast, is supposed to be enduring, stemming deep from within our soul, and which is not affected by the circumstances surrounding us. I don't think God has any such hair splitting in mind, she said. Scripture uses the terms interchangeably, along with words like delight, gladness, blessed. There is no scale of relative spiritual values applied to any of these. I mean, that's, that's so well said. Um, 
So we can stop pretending that these are two different things. So if you think about that, if scholars consider joy synonymous with the words happy or glad, the next time you see a, boy, a verse that says joy, read it with the word happy and see what it does. Um, you know, like, I say be happy, and again I say be happy. You know, it, it has a different ring to it, but that's a, that's a valid translation. Okay, so as Christians, we're told that when we give our allegiance to Jesus, we're given his spirit, right? And the fruits of the spirit include joy. Joy is happiness, so Christians should be happy. We're done. <laughs> All right? Uh, you guys happy 24-7? I doubt it. I, I doubt many of us have, have achieved that level yet. But I do think we should, in general, be known as happy people. And that's something that I've been trying to work on. Um, we should certainly be no more for our joy than our sadness. And so I think, was Jesus happy? I always think about the historical Jesus a lot. And I, when I think about Jesus, I admit, I think of this morose um, preacher that walked around, you know, this deep thinker um, who was, you know, walked around in sorrow, right? Anticipating his eventual death. But... And, we, and he's called the man of sorrows, right? And we know that he experienced sorrow. You know, he cried at his, when his friend Lazarus died. He cried over Jerusalem. And then there was the Garden of Gethsemane where was, he was in deep, deep anguish. So when, to be sure, we, knew, we know he had sadness. But I wonder if he wasn't in general a happy guy that had friends that were disciples that he rejoiced in and that uh, he took joy in the creation around him. Uh, any of you guys watched The Chosen, the movie uh, series? Um, when I first saw that actor's portrayal of Jesus, I was like, this guy's too happy. <laughs> like, he smiles too much. He's too, he's too jovial. Um, you, you know, it, it, I'm used to the Jesus of Nazareth. Remember that? The actor who played Jesus of Nazareth, or even um, The Passion. You know, th that was a much more stoic portrayal of Jesus. But the more I think about it, the more I think happiness was probably something you could see in Jesus. Certainly, if it's a fruit of the Spirit, then he had it. So you, you, you don't have to be a Christian to have joy. But you shouldn't be a Christian without it. And I think in this day, this day and age, I can't think of anything better as a testimony than happiness, right? I mean, think about it. There's, everybody's anger, I think, is on a hair trigger these days. And uh, even, even now, even after elections, even after COVID's waning, 75% of, of people in this country still say society's on the wrong track. Like, we're, we're not a happy people. <laughs> so what, what testimony would, would be given by someone with true joy? I mean, wouldn't that be an anomaly this, these days? Like, wouldn't that be a great thing for us to embrace? Um, I can't think of a more powerful testimony right now than to simply be happy. Uh, I work at a pretty progressive company in Portland, and it's hard to be happy. <laughs> Uh, before that, I worked on college campuses in a, in a few different states. And um, because of those, those environments, those cultures, I've always been around activists. <laughs> um, and uh, when I was back in the, in the college days, you know, I, I would go to some demonstrations myself, and I've seen some pretty heated political demonstrations. And I can tell you, um, of all the protests over the years that I've seen and witnessed, um, and some of them are pretty volatile, the only joyful protesters I've ever seen were Christians. Now, that's not to say every Christian that was protesting was joyful. That's not true. But the ones who were joyful turned out to be Christian. And I was thinking about this because, again, I work with a lot of well-intentioned 
activists at work. And, and when I really kind of look at them, I think their motives are anything but joy. They come from a righteous anger, uh, deep-seated outrage. But there's not a joy that drives them. And uh, I think that's really interesting to me. Um, and I think, you know that bumper sticker that says, uh, what does it say? If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. You know? I mean, I get that, but I want to see one that says, like, if you're not happy, you're not paying attention. Um, but I say this because I think the Christian worldview, in, in, my, in my study, in my experience, the Christian worldview is the best one that's able to balance like righteous anger with joy, or the seek for justice with joy. And you've probably met Christians who are, they are against some evil, they're working against some evil in the world, some ministry, mission, and yet they still manifest joy, right? I can think of at least five people like that. And just to compare, like the atheist, humanist activists I know wouldn't be described as anything like happy or joyful. <laughs> um, so I don't know, I think that duality is really important. I think the duality, to be able to hold justice and joy or anger and joy, that's something that we have to have as followers of Jesus. And we can, and the Bible tells us we should mourn with those who mourn and we should be angry when, it gets, when it's time to be angry but we should always have that joy as a key fruit within our spirit the whole time. And this may sound impossible, but as Jesus said, with God all things are possible. Um, and what's more, I think we can have joy alongside suffering, right? That's another level. And I'm sure you've all met godly people who are happy and are suffering at the same time. And again, I can think of a few people in my life that exemplify that. And some people don't even just endure it. They go even higher than that, and they embrace it. <laughs> right? That's the ultimate level. That's where, that's, where, um, that's where Paul was in Romans 5, 1, 5, where he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Like, that just seems messed up. <laughs> but he rejoices in his sufferings because it brings endurance, and it brings improvement of his character. That's the ultimate. And I think we can get there. Um, and again, I think holding those things in tension is, is really interesting in the walk of a Christian. So Christians are commanded to be joyful. We should be happy. Um, it's a fruit of the Spirit, so it should be growing in us every day. What if we all know this and we still don't feel happy? That's another interesting thing. Well, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of fake it until you make it. Um, I once had a counselor tell me this, and I, and I think it's true. Um, he said, just pretend you're happy for a while and see what happens. If you're not content, pretend you're content. If you're anxious and fearful, pretend you're not. And after a while, he said, you'll realize that you're not acting anymore and your brain has actually rewired itself. And that sounds kind of, kind of silly, but um, um, Tommy turned me on to uh, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest and writer, and he said it really eloquently. He said, we do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. And I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life, because that is so perfect, right? So am I saying that we're supposed to believe something that isn't true? We should all walk around delusional, go around acting, um, even when we don't feel something? Um, no. But I also think it's really important to remember that we don't have to feel something for it to be true, right? Like, I don't feel rich all the time, but I know that 
compared to 99.99% of the world, I am extremely wealthy. I don't always feel loved at a particular moment, but I know my family and wife love me. Right? They tell me that sometimes. Um, like, <laughs> why should happiness be any different is what I'm arguing. You can be happy even if you don't feel happy. And I know, again, that sounds insane to many of you, but try it. Uh, simply choosing to be happy and putting it on, you, you'll find that um, it actually can help you become happy. Um, and joy is a fruit of the spirit, right? And we know that, and just like you might not, might not always feel love, uh, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, you can still act loving, right? You can still be peacemakers, you can still practice patience, you can still try kindness, even if you don't feel them. And I, so I think, I think we will find that when we practice these things, they actually become a very real part of us. So that's my advice on that. Um, and uh, go to this slide too. Randy Alcorn, who's uh, actually local, he's a Gresham pastor, writer. He said, it, he said this too. I think this is an interesting aspect. Once we reconcile to God, we can do something more about our happiness by doing what happy people do. Happiness doesn't precede giving and serving. It accompanies and follows it. And what he, so what he's saying there is, like, don't wait till you're happy to try to make others happy. Um, I was thinking of this as, like, when that oxygen mask drops in a plane, you know, you're supposed to put it on yourself before helping others. It's the opposite. Help others and then put it on yourself. And so what he's saying is, you know, once you start working in service, once, once you start serving others, the happiness will flow from that service, and it, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It becomes this feedback loop. If we act happy, we become happy, and as we try to make others happy, we get more happy. Again, try it. See if it's wrong. All right. So many of us have a lot to be happy about. I know I do uh, right now, at least for right now. But the obvious fact is that I won't always, right? My hair is going to continue to fall out. Uh, I'm going to get weaker. I'm going to get sick. Uh, people I love are going to die. I'm going to die. The trick is going to be to maintain one's happiness throughout all of that, right? Regardless of circumstances. But I have to believe, I know, that there are people in Ukraine now who have no heat in their homes. They have mortars flying overhead. They have enemy tanks a mile away, and they're happy. I've read stories of Christians in prison who are happy. There are Christians being persecuted in Africa, in Korea, in China, that have joy. Like, they can do that. Why, why can they do that? But I think, I think it's kind of obvious, and it's kind of like Philippians wrote. If we really think, like Paul did, like the apostles did, that to die is to be with Christ, that should leave us with some deep seed of joy at the very core of our being. Right? If we really believe as this Advent candle is reminding us that, that Jesus really did come to earth and he did the most backward, poetic, crazy thing to come as a poor child and let men kill him just to demonstrate his upside-down kingdom of love. If we really believe that happened, that should be a center of joy for us. And I think that's why these people in these awful circumstances can still manifest joy, right? Because they really believe it. They're not delusional, they just see further down their line. They, they're zoomed out, and we're zoomed in. But you have to zoom out when you're in times of, of, of stress and trouble. And so we have joy not, not, because, not because we're delusional and we're trying to convince ourselves that, that we're happy, but 
because deep down we really are. We know that we're in this world, but we're not of this world, right? We know that we are known by God and that we're children of God, and that has to give us the security that brings happiness. And of course, again, um, I can think of a lot of people who've done this in my life, uh, missionaries that I've known and, and people that have gone through awful diseases and deaths of children and, and they still have a joy in them. And that's supernatural to me. That is, as Philippians says, comes from a supernatural place. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And then of course, look at Jesus, right? Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I read that and I started thinking, I wonder if even on his way to be crucified, if Jesus didn't have some level of joy, or at least he was motivated by joy, right? Like, that blew my mind. And his, and his, his people were killing him, torturing him. His instinct is to ask for their forgiveness. <laughs> what supernatural quality is that? What strength of character could do that? I want to be that. I want to have that strength. I want to have that joy, that great love at the center of my being like he did. So historically, uh, I think Christians understood that happiness, gladness, feasting, and partying are God's gifts. Um, I think we've lost that. Most of you guys don't know how to throw a party. <laughs> I think Christians today live like faith drains happiness. Um, our culture definitely does not associate Christians with like fun, right? Um, I grew up on the East Coast. We have Jewish people on the East Coast. Jewish people know how to throw a party. <laughs> um, you know, we don't have anything cool like a bar mitzvah. We don't raise people up on chairs at weddings. Um, they know how to have a good time. Uh, when Jill and I got married, our reception was in a church, and the number one rule was do not dance. <laughs> right? But happiness is a response to goodness, to, to celebration. Like, celebration should be a response to happiness, right? Um, and I think we need to practice that. I, don't, I think we've lost that. Uh, and I think Advent is a good time to remind us of that. So maybe this Christmas, see if you can celebrate in a new way with, uh, with, with people. Um, you don't have to get Jewish, but uh, I don't know. I think it's something we gotta, have to get back to in our culture is the, uh, is the right to celebrate and learn how to celebrate with, with gusto. Um, Okay, so uh, let me close with this. How do, you, how do you do with this command to rejoice? Um, do you think you can be a, a celebrator? Uh, don't let yourself think, I'll be happy when. Just be happy now. Take on joy. Embrace that fruit of the Spirit. And again, why? It's all because of what happened in Bethlehem, right? Because for we have good news of great joy for all of us people. For in the city of David, there was born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All right, let's pray. And the music team can come on up. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, thank you that we have a worldview that we can be hopeful about, to be happy about. Thank you that we have the promise of joy to come and the opportunity to be happy here and now as well. Help us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn, to pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances and be happy whatever comes our way. 
May the gladness in our hearts also make it to our faces. And, uh, and then that will prompt people to ask, what is the reason for the hope? What is the reason for the happiness within you? We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.